You are listening to The Tish with Rabbi Michael Knopf, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about Rabbi Michael Knopf, please visit MikeKnopf.com. For more information about other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Other ways of uh, transferring flavor, other ways of noten ta'am, um, are aroma, so smell, can impart flavor. So that's a, a, a great Hebrew phrase here. That's recha milta, which means its, its scent is, um, is a thing. Uh, its scent is, uh, is, is effective. So usually that applies to things that are like cooking in an oven together. Right? So they're in like close quarters where, um, where the aroma of one thing could get into something else, um, then it, it would render those things unkosher. So I have a question. Yeah. So Glenn is barbecuing outside. Steak, perfectly kosher steak. Of course. Uh, right. <laughs> of course. Okay, and I'm inside because I'm not going to eat that steak because I'm going to make um, cheese omelet. Right. But I can smell the smoke yeah. coming in. Uh, so I'm not going to wade into what might be a marital issue here, but uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no. But it's not a matter of whether or not you can smell the steak. It's a matter of whether the, the it's it's right. It's a matter of whether the smell of, it's a matter of whether the smell of the steak could impact the taste of the, of the cheese omelet. Um, so if they were, if you were cooking the cheese omelet on the grill at the, a different right. part of the grill at right. the same time as the steak, I actually still think it may not be relevant, uh, if the, unless the lid of the grill was closed and the smell could actually, like it was in close quarters and could get in. But that's another way of transferring flavors by, is by aroma. Um, and the other, a related one, is uh, is is steam uh, called zea, which actually is the Hebrew word for sweat, but uh, but steam, um, which is a, a similar kind of thing. What's that? Oh, um. I, I, okay. Back to Bonnie and her steak and cheese omelet. No, 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 steak and cheese okay. But uh, so yeah. it's, it's it's we all know what you're cooking, Bonnie. You need to be a little closer in proximity so that possibly it got absorbed into it. Correct. So it's not enough that you just smell it. Correct. So that's why you can go to restaurants. But, no. You know, like when you go to restaurants and you. I mean, that might happen, but that's not. Right. I mean, what if you're eating your cheese quesadilla and it's perfectly fine, and your friend gets fajitas? Different. That's not. That's not what. It's, that's not what it's talking about. That's not what it's talking about. It's. It's talking about uh, usually it close proximity, uh, closed quarters, right? During the cooking process. So, like, don't cook a steak beside your cheese omelet on a flat iron grill. There we go. Thank you. Right. I actually don't even necessarily think that that's inherently problematic. Uh, although you probably shouldn't do it um, uh, for for a whole bunch of reasons, um, but I would think that the the salient issue would be um, if you closed like a lid on top of it so that the smells could intermingle with each other. So I can have like the pot of stew on the stove on the back burner and be making the cheese omelet on the front burner, and probably all right. Say that again. You could make, have a spot of stew on the back burner of your stove and you could put something with cheese in a pan on the front and you'd be okay. Uh, you, it depends on the setup of your kitchen, but probably fine. Right. Yeah. Like you might be cooking dinner for tomorrow while you're Right, right, especially if you turn on the exhaust fan. Hey, 
What's that? Sounds like your point is that it's possible for this to happen, but it's difficult. Right. Um, uh, and again, you know, you have to uh, remember that some of these principles uh, were developed in um, in an era of totally different cooking methods than we use. Right. So, like their ovens were very different from our ovens. Um, uh, their ovens were more like kilns, uh, and, uh, and and our ovens um, have ventilation. You know, so um, so some of these don't really apply anymore. Although I would say, you know, at least the ones we're talking about now of, of aroma and steam, um, I would say are good reasons why um, uh, one uh, shouldn't cook meat and dairy things in the same oven at the same time. Um, although. Theoretically, one might be able to if those things are covered, right? If they, if they like, you know, sealed shut, right? Um, I, I still wouldn't recommend it for a handful of reasons, but, but theoretically you could do that. Um, but it also, I mean, uh, it, uh, it, it to me also means that you could use, uh, the same oven for both meat and dairy. Um, uh, you know, so long as you give the oven an opportunity to uh, to release the smell of what you had cooked in there before, um, and that there's no you know like like lingering like meat sweat on the walls, you don't need to clean your oven in between. You just so here's the thing: if it if it spills, um, it depends. If it spills in, it's still like um, uh, um, recognizably you know meat or dairy. Um, then, yeah, you probably need to clean that off before you cook the opposite in there. Um, if it spills and it's, like, totally burned off there, so you get to this issue of whether it's nifsalm achilat kelev, right? Even a dog wouldn't go and eat that, so therefore it's, it's really a non-substance anymore. Um, then it probably doesn't matter. Which in the oven probably Right, exactly, exactly. That's a Devar Chadash. Devar Chadash is a little bit different because that, that, that's uh, sort of like uh, um, uh, chemical process. But, uh, but um, I'm not sure I would necessarily say those are identical categories. But if it's helpful for you to think of it that way, it's not, I guess, okay. totally harmful. Yeah. Here we wouldn't do that. Well, here we wouldn't do that because we have two different ovens, right? And there, and, and there are, um, assuming we can, um, we'll get to why it's, it's helpful to have two different ovens, um, but um, uh, you're right. So you don't run into issues like this, right, of um, questioning, you know, um, whether, you know, the steam of, uh, of the meat dish got into the dairy dish if you have two ovens, right, because it wouldn't happen, right? So if I run the cleaning cycle on my oven, would that kill the issue? Well, sure, but I'm not even sure you need to do that. Um, I would just say, I would just say, like, if you cook, you know, a roast in your oven, um, I would wait a little bit of time um, uh, for the smell to dissipate um, uh, before you, you know, cook your big ziti, um, and I would just check to make sure that there's no like beef splatter on the walls of the of the oven that's like recognizably still beef beef splatter. Um, okay. Um, so. Looking back at the pot for for a second, um, the issue of no ten tam is also um, uh, uh, relevant to our dishes and utensils and uh, um, and and pots and pans and things like that, right? Because um, it's not only about you know the the 
non-kosher food item or the dairy item that fell into the meat item, uh, the non-kosher item that fell into the kosher item, and those impart the flavor to each other, which is true that that, that does at least legally happen. Um, but it also, um, A, can impart flavor to the dish uh, or the cooking utensil that's being cooked in and with um, uh, in such a way uh, that the presumption is that uh, that that uh, um, dish or utensil or um, or pot and pan uh, would impart that flavor back out once heat is applied or once something is soaking in it or something like that, right? Um, so uh, because the issue is uh, is the ability to impart flavor, um, uh, the salient question legally is how porous. Um, uh, uh, an item is. Well, actually, there's a couple of salient questions. The most salient question is um, how porous an item is, right? How uh, likely is it to both absorb flavor and then uh, release flavor, right? Um, and there is in Jewish law sort of um, a spectrum of porousness of of items, you know, ranging from like clay, earthenware um, is considered to be very porous. Um, and um, uh, glass is considered to be very not porous, um, and uh, and like metal is kind of in between. Um, plastic is considered to generally be very porous, um, uh, right? Uh, so um, uh, bone china is kind of like uh, closer. Usually, people say to um, to glass um, than uh, than than to anything else. Um, uh, so what that means is that um, it means a couple things. First is, if um, one of those items was rendered somehow not kosher, okay? So let's say um, I have my uh, plate, my my clay, my earthenware plate, um, and I um, I had my you know hot macaroni and cheese on that dairy earthenware plate, uh, and then. Um, I, you know, uh, threw hot meat sauce on that uh, macaroni and cheese on that plate. Um, that the presumption is because it's very porous, it would um, absorb that tr- that non-kosher that trafe flavor, um, and it would retain it, um, imparting it back out to anything else that that plate would come into contact with. At least when that plate. Uh, was coming into contact with hot food or when the plate itself was hot. I remember heat is what transfers flavor, which means that if I have a, um, that same earthenware plate with cold macaroni and cheese and cold meat sauce falls on it, it wouldn't render the plate not kosher. I probably shouldn't eat what's on it, but it doesn't render the plate not kosher. So heat is what uh, is what imparts flavor and what causes the absorption of flavor, um, among some of the other things we talked about, soaking, salting, aroma, steam. Right, um, but heat is really the relevant issue. So, if that uh, hot meat sauce fell on that hot macaroni and cheese, uh, imparting the flavor to this earthenware plate, it would render that plate not kosher. Uh, now, for something uh, considered to be as porous as earthenware, um, it means that there is uh, no way to uh, to take that from a non-kosher status to a kosher status. Um, because the presumption is it will always have that flavor inside of it and therefore always uh, release it back out. But let's say the same thing happened to a metal pot. 
Okay? Um, the same thing is true, but it's less porous than the earthenware dish, at least according to Jewish law. So the same thing is true, that uh, that uh, that metal pot would absorb the flavor. Uh, but because it's less porous, it means it's uh, um, easier to get the flavor out of it um, and render it kosher again. Uh, and so you can do that. Uh, the way... Um, Oh, the phrase is uh, um, leaving me for a second. Um, ah, here we go. I like this phrase too. There are all these great mnemonic. I mean, I think they're mnemonics, like rhyming sort of phrases um, to help you remember it. Because Judaism, Jewish law, is um, originally um, an oral tradition. Um, so, um, so the phrase is ketol uh, o kach. Which means the way it absorbs the flavor is the way it releases the flavor. Right? Or the way you can get the flavor out of it. So assuming that we're talking about a pot uh, that uh, that is used to like boil things, and the way in which it absorbed the non-kosher flavor was essentially through a process of boiling, right? I had this pot and I put um, you know hot mixture of meat and milk inside of it, um, the way I would make it kosher again, after of course dumping the mixture out and washing it, um, is by uh, boiling hot water in it. Um, so kibble o kach polto. Things that are uh, used on, say, like direct fire, right? So like your... Um, uh, the grill is the is the easiest one I can think of, but there are some other things. Maybe your cast iron skillet. Um, the way kibble o kachpolto, because these are things that uh, um, that uh, uh, a skillet itself actually probably falls into this category. Um, the way uh, it absorbs flavors through uh, direct fire, right? So uh, direct heat, not boiling. So the way it um, can be rendered kosher again is uh, is through direct heat, right? Uh, um, so that's why on Passover, for example, a lot of people take blowtorches to various parts of their kitchen um, because it uh, it can blow kachpolto. The way it absorbs the chavetz flavors, the way it'll release it back out. Um, <clears throat> So, is there a certain amount of time that it has to boil? Because once it hit, hits a rolling boil, it's stuck. Yeah, mm-hmm. hitting every part of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So, and again, this is questions that came up mm-hmm. while I'm done with the book. Um, another question that came up was the mayonnaise, a, jar, a big jar of mayonnaise, was being used in both kitchens. Right. The dairy and the meat. I kind of stopped it. And what would you have done? And and it was being put. I'm trying to think if they put the instrument in or they poured it out because I know that makes a difference. Right. So I think of how I want to. I want to answer this in. I want to answer this in a way that it can apply to more situations than just that. Right. Uh, um, because it's a it's a it's a good question. So um, so you know I, I was talking about uh, pots and pans and dishes and things like that. But utensils work the same way, right? So if uh, my utensil, 
my meat utensil um, uh, touches, you know, hot dairy dish, um, then it's absorbed. It, it, first of all, um, it absorbs the dairy flavor, right? So rendering it not kosher because it, it has meat flavor in it and it absorbs the dairy flavor. And uh, it imparts back out the meat flavor to the dairy dish, rendering the dairy dish not kosher. And so the way I would um, uh, uh, kosher that, kosher is the um, verb for how you make something kosher uh, after it's become not kosher. Uh, so the way I would kosher that utensil um, is uh, usually by boiling it, right? Um, um, because it's uh, not coming into contact with direct heat. So that's the, the way that kosher is the word boil. Um, boiling with kosher. Assuming it's a metal fork, by the way. Yeah. Right. So, but it has to touch all of it. So, like, if I had a metal pot, like, think like a pasta pot, like, decent size, you can't, you have to submerge the thing to kosher it, or you just have to boil water in it. No, you have to boil water so that water, I mean, submerging would be the easiest way if you could do it. And if you go to Israel around Passover time, there are all these like stations set up all around the city that are probably not street legal, but people with like giant vats of uh, boiling water that you could take your pots and just dump them in. But so if you're doing it at home, the water has to roll over the sides of the pot to get the whole pot. Uh, I don't know your dishwasher, so it might, but it also might not. I don't know. Um, so, um, there's, gosh, there's so much to do. So, um, uh, um, no, 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 and these are really great questions. Um, I just want to make sure that we, that, that we cover it. So, um, to, to your, to your question, Bonnie, um, because remember, what imparts flavor is heat, and so what I would say, I mean, except for a couple of other things, right? So, so soaking also parts flavor, which is why I'd say if I was using a uh, meat knife that was not boiled, like the knife wasn't hot, the mayonnaise wasn't hot, right. um, and the knife was clean, right. then, um, then putting it in the mayonnaise would not render it meat, right? And, uh, and the same thing with a dairy knife. Um, I would, but if the knife was had meat all over it, right, or if I like went and like spread it on meat uh, and then put it back into the mayonnaise jar, I might get into a situation where there is um, uh, soaking going to happen because there's going to be like meat residue soaking right. into the mayonnaise jar. So I guess you know, I generally, I don't know. I mean, like, I, uh, but I think that it's, I think that it's very unlikely that, that that those kind of like serious mixtures are going to happen. I think it's very unlikely that you're going to be taking, I'm not even sure how you would hold a boiling hot knife uh, uh, and put it into a mayonnaise jar or why you would do that. Um, so I, I mean, and think about it for your kitchen. I mean, like I don't have, uh, it, it, I don't know who has a kosher kitchen here, but my guess is that you don't have two sets of every condiment uh, that you might be dipping uh, um, uh, your knife in. And the reason for that is, um, because um, the the possibility of a uh, of a mixture um, is so small. Um, I mean, I suppose you could have two mayonnaise jars, but it's not like uh, necessary. So both both items, the the one that they put the mayonnaise in, and the meat in the meat kitchen, and the one they put the mayonnaise in, let's say the tuna in the dairy kitchen, both items would be considered to be kosher still. The, the actual products. Yeah. As long as clean, cold knives were used to get the panties out. And they're actually, they're actually spoons. Correct, correct. 
I mean, so, so, I mean, this is, right, so, so this, that's a really good uh, example. So it means that if I'm making, let's say, tuna fish, right, um, and it's going to be served at a meat meal, I could make that tuna fish using all meat utensils in, uh, assuming that the meat utensils are clean, um, in, a, in a meat dish, assuming the meat dish was clean, mix it up, make it there, and serve it at a dairy meal, um, even though it's in a meat dish. Why? Because uh, all the items in it are cold parv, right? The dishes and utensils themselves are cold parv. There's no issue of no tentam happening there. Um, and uh, and there is, uh, um, uh, unless, of course, I'm like, you know, um, putting it like right next to um, like a boiling hot, you know, uh, uh, dairy something. Um, which I think is probably, you know, so if you're planning on doing that, I wouldn't do it. But if I'm, if I'm like bringing it to like a setup like this, where I'm going to have, you know, my like macaroni and my, you know, cheesecake, and then next to it is my tuna fish, um, I don't think that there's any real concern there. Um, so, um, uh, so, yeah. Um, so what about the idea of Wait, sorry, say say the question again. If, if you fixed up the potential, yeah. Um, so, uh, as far as I can tell, you know, this is an, an, an instance of uh, what I call halachic mythology. Um, and where it comes from, it comes from an honest place, uh, which is before people had soap, they used dirt uh, uh, and sand and things like that. Um, so I think what, what where that comes from is you're cleaning off the utensil, uh, which 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 goes to show you that you don't need to uh, actually boil it. You don't need to actually kosher it. You just need to clean it. And then you use it in your meat or use it in your dairy or whatever. Right? Um, this also means because... Um, uh, because no ten tom is the issue here, um, it means that if I'm cooking a if I'm cooking um, a uh, um, uh, uh, actually I don't want to get that complicated right now, so I'm not going to. Um, right, any other? Uh, well, I was just wondering, like, does that uh, somehow address the ladle, which I'm assuming was clean and cold, right. in Bonnie's soup? Right, so you, so the issue, now, now let's go back to it. So the issue was, you put a milk ladle. Let me clarify, I did not do okay. this. I discovered this. A theor- theoretical person, uh, I put, uh, I'm asking for a friend. Uh, they, uh, they put a, uh, they put a dairy ladle. Dairy ladle in a soup that was in a meat soup. Yeah. Uh, okay, well, let's throw it out to the let's throw it out to the crowd. What? They served it. They didn't um, let it sit in there and boil away in it. Right, but uh, it was so really hot. it was cold when it went in. The, the ladle was cold, but what was the soup? Uh, right. Not you say not kosher. Why? The soup's hot. It was an apple. Interesting. It was an accident. There's not enough of it to. Make it. And how was it? It was discovered. Right. It was discovered. So it was an accident. It wasn't there for All right. So there are. Uh, so so what other other thoughts we have? We have. We, so Bree, you say both the soup 
and the uh, um, ladle are not kosher? If the soup is servably hot, I would say Servably hot is an interesting one. We didn't talk about this. So when, when, um, so uh, no, I, seriously, um, when when we talk about uh, heat, um, the the Jewish law has a um, has a has a technical understanding of that, and uh, usually it is what's called yad soledet bo, which means what? Do you put your finger in it? Right. If you put your, if you touched it, you would recoil. Yad soletipo, right? Your your yad would soletipo would would uh, <laughs> you would jump back, right? Um, right. So so servably hot is actually really um, uh, good um, uh, uh, precision. Okay. Right. Okay. So fine. So you're saying the soup. So what's not kosher? The soup, the ladle, or both? Well, I didn't even think about the dishes, but I think the ladle. The ladle would be heated by being put in the soup. I mean, if you like, wrong spoon, pulled it right out. No, but if it sat in there for 15 minutes and got warm, then yes, I think it would ruin the soup. But it's a metal ladle, so it's not porous. It is. It's not sitting there. It came in and out. Well, it was. It was in there. It was. It was definitely in there. It was soaking in there. Well, no, I mean, you know. Nah, soaking. Remember, soaking means twenty-four hours. Oh, How salty was the soup? How salty was it? So I'll tell you what I think, uh, but it's actually a really interesting question. So there, there's, there's uh, one other principle that, that we didn't talk about, but I'll get into that in a second. Important the, most the most important one. The most important one. Right. How good was the soup? It was darn good. All right. I have to tell you, so, um, all right. So, uh, um, I led, I led USY on wheels for a number of summers. Um, and, uh, I had lots of experience with this because we had actually a very strict kashru policy on USY on wheels. We wouldn't even let kids eat, uh, uh, most hot food out in non-kosher restaurants. They could only, the policy was generally cold dairy. You could eat cold dairy. Um, which didn't mean like you could go buy pizza and like blow on it. It means that you could only, <laughs> only buy cold, uncooked things. So, um, uh, um, <laughs> we would actually tell kids that because like teenagers are, wait, you can't just give pizza and make it cold. Um, so, right, put pizza in the fridge. So, um, but you know, but the question would always come up, okay, like, like, there's like french fries everywhere. Can I have french fries? And so here, and, and some of these will make sense to you why these were the, so here's, we go and ask, go and ask questions. So one question is, is anything else fried in the same oil as the French fries? Right? In other words, are they frying their chicken fingers in the oil as the French fries? Because that would be no tentam to the, to the oil, right? And then when the French fries go in that oil, go ahead. No, no, it's okay. But like in a like I don't know in a fryer like when you're frying those things off like it doesn't affect the taste unless the oil is really like dirty to me because yeah. it's, it's frying constantly like the oil's constantly what hot. What temperature is that oil going at? Yeah, that's a good question. But usually, like I think usually like three thirty-five to three seventy-five like for a kitchen fryer. So like 
Not really get that, that taste. <laughs> but it doesn't matter. But about boiling would make it worse, not better. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, no. <laughs> uh, anyway, well, right. So fine. I mean, you know, uh, but so you have to go. You have to. Uh, now you, I mean, I guess you could ask a, uh, another question, which is, you know, like, how clean is your fryer? But anyway, so these are the questions we ask, right? So uh, what else What else do you cook in your fryer? Um, what kind of oil is it, right? Do you, are you using vegetable oil? Are you using lard? You know, I don't know how many people use lard in their deep fryers, but I suppose it's theoretically possible. Most people use beef tab, which is, like, just breaks of beef. They do in their deep fryers? Yeah. Really? Wow. Oh okay. There you go. Okay. Right. Um, uh, so the right. Yeah. They told the Hindus that they're vegetarian. Uh, okay. The third. The third question uh, was: um, uh, Is there anything like on the fries or in the fries that is uh, not vegetarian? Right. So they they have like the flavoring things like that, which happens to fries a lot. Um, so those are really the three questions that we that we had them ask. Um, because virtually everything else doesn't really matter. Um, but I always have my kids ask a fourth question, which is, are they delicious? And I felt like that was a really important one. And so I have like a generation of kids that now every time they go into a restaurant, they ask whether or not the fries are delicious. And then people, anyway, okay, that wasn't as funny as I, you had to be there, I guess. Um, but, no, they're not delicious. <laughs> you do not want the fries. Trust me. All right. So. You have a disgusting flavor in the fries. So here's what I would, here's what I would say about the, about the uh, ladle in the soup. So, um, it's it, now um, I'm going to throw in something in a second that's going to really complicate it, um, but um, uh, essentially, I would yeah I know um, I would say essentially uh, um, I would say the soup is still kosher, the ladle is not. Right, so I would say, especially if it was an accidental, right, an accidental mixture in the soup, it wouldn't render the soup unkosher. You won't want to uh, um, uh, rid a pot of soup because of an accidental mixture that that that, that probably isn't imparting a flavor. Um, but the ladle probably absorbed a lot of flavor from the soup, and so the ladle would have to be koshered. And it's and part of this is is practicalities, right? It's not practical to throw out a whole pot of soup if you could avoid it, and it is practical to kosher a ladle. So that's pro- that's probably what I would say. Now, but there's another. Um, twist to it, another complicating factor, um, which is this principle. What? <laughs> the most? The, this is it, okay? This is the most important principle. Um, professionally. Which is Ben Yomo. Ben Yomo was a friend of mine in grade school. No, uh, ben Yomo. Uh, he would always go and ask whether French fries were delicious. He was weird. Uh, ben Yomo. He's the guy who called all the kosher questions, right? Right, he's the guy who called all the kosher questions. So uh, Ben Yomo means... Um, uh, ben Yomo means it's a, um, a day old. A day old? A day old. A day old. A day old, yeah. Like, uh, or like, or it's, 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 it's of a day's length, okay? So what that means is the presumption in, uh, in, in halakha, um, is that if a, um, 
And this, this, you'll see how um, there's water over there. Um, you'll see how um, how this is related. You'll see how this is how this uh, um, uh, kind of shows um, where a lot of kashrut laws were were developed in in a in a uh, society in which um, uh, they didn't really wash their dishes. Okay, so um, the presumption is if your dish. If you're like, say, metal pot or metal ladle um, was uh, um, had not been used for, let's say it was dairy, right? Had not been used for dairy for more than a day, then any dairy flavor still in it is no ten ta'am leaf gum. And so, therefore, if that ladle um, was had, you know, you said it was clean, hadn't been used for more than a day. Um, I would say that it's uh, that it's that it's no ten tam leaf gum. The soup is kosher and the ladle is kosher, assuming that it's accidental. Um, and 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 uh, uh, um, you know the, the the truth of the matter is that the idea of uh, of of benyomo um, is uh, now I don't necessarily I wouldn't rely. First, you have the issue of aim mevatlin isor lechachila, right? We don't do it um, ab initio, but um, so I, I wouldn't rely on it for um, a, a kosher kitchen generally, which is why I think, generally speaking, it's good to have two sets of everything. Um, uh, but it's good in a pinch, right? And it's also helpful if you're if you're eating out. Uh, if you want to eat out uh, kosher or as close to kosher as possible in a non-kosher restaurant. Because you can generally, I mean, you can tell me if I'm right or wrong about this in, in many places, uh, um, but uh, especially as you get into higher-end restaurants, uh, that that uh, um, uh, in general, um, uh, pots and utensils and dishes are used for the same uh, dishes. No, they're not. Yeah. In general, No. Like, I've Nothing needed, but it gives that same flavor. Right? Some turkey bacon. Okay, all right. 
Um, so there's one, there's, there's one additional issue. We talked about no ten tom. And there's also, uh, and, and this was a really good example with the ladle, um, because we had to bring into the issue of, uh, of, of yad soledet bow, right? So it's gotta be, uh, heat's gotta be involved, and it's gotta be, the, the things involved would be hot enough that, you know, your hand would recoil from touching them. So there's another principle called no ten tom bar no ten tom. Uh, or usually it's uh, the, the, the um, what's it called? The mnemonic is not bar not. That's you. Not bar. It's 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 not it's not not. It's like it's like the acronym is no ten tom. So together it's not. Um, not bar not means it's basically second degree imparting a flavor, okay? And there's no such thing as second degree imparting a flavor, okay? So what that means, okay. <laughs> Debbie doesn't like that. So what what that what that means? So why are we talking about? Yeah, that? I mean, it doesn't exist. Somebody may tell you that. No, because because, uh, because a lot of people think that there is such a thing, okay? Uh, right. So um, it doesn't exist. So what that means is that um, if I so some of the things that I talked about right so um, my I talked about a, 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 a dairy dish that had hot macaroni and cheese on it um, and I put like hot um, uh, pasta uh, hot uh, meat sauce on it um, uh, I don't know who's like okay um, it's distracting um, okay uh, so that is no ten tom. Uh, but then, if I were to take that same mixture of things and put it from that plate onto another plate, that would be no ten tom bar no ten tom, right? Or if I were to take the um, the the, the non kosher plate um, and put something uh, on it when that plate was no longer hot, right? That would be no ten tom bar no ten tom, right? Second degree imparting a flavor because it's not the the um, the original imparting a flavor. Um, so the, the the better example of where this where this comes into play and why it's relevant um, is uh, my pot of um, parv pasta that was cooked in a dairy pot, and I want to take that uh, that pasta that was cooked in a dairy pot. That's par of, except for the fact that it was cooked in a dairy pot, um, and use it for a meat meal. Can I do that or can I not do that? Yes. No. Some no. people say no, some people say yes. So why yes, why no? Because you just said you can't cook that secondary, but not secondary. So. <laughs> Your mother-in-law said you couldn't. Okay, Michael, why do you say? Why do you say? <laughs> because I'm, I'm intending to put a meat sauce on it, so I would never have made it. Right, but okay, so what if, right, that's fine, but what if, what if you made it in the dairy dish because, I mean, this happens in my house all the time, we made it in the dairy dish because the night before we used it in a dairy meal, um, but, uh, but the next night we don't really, we didn't like intend to use it in a meat meal the next night, but we just have all this leftover pasta and otherwise it's gonna go to waste, thank you. Uh, and otherwise it's gonna go to waste. It's not the second. Wait, wait, you, you went a day. What? You went a day. Okay. And threw that in. All right, so what if I, let's take the pot itself out of the equation. Let's say I've taken the pasta out of the pot, and I 
put it on a meat plate. Put it in a glass bowl. In, in, in the part. glass bowl with some parv, and then the next day you're using it with your meat sauce, it's fine. Right, no, so right, so the, the, the day thing actually isn't really relevant here because I'm not using the no but Michael, I hear you. I hear why you said that. Um, no, it's it's good it's good thinking. Um, the, the the day thing is only relevant to the pot itself, right? So it means that that pot uh, actually that pot uh, since it hasn't been used in 24 hours for actual dairy, um, I could theoretically, even though I shouldn't, use that pot for meat, and it wouldn't render the meat unkosher. Uh, it might render the pot unkosher, but it doesn't render the meat unkosher. Um, the, uh, uh, but the, the pasta that was in it, is it dairy or parav? Um, I would say even if the pot is, uh, is, uh, uh, is, is, um, even if the pot is ben yomo, right, within the same day, um, it wouldn't render the pasta itself dairy. Um, it doesn't import the dairy flavor into the pasta, which means that the pasta itself is still parav, and I can use it for a meat meal. So, because that, because that, because using it then at a at a meat meal, putting it on a meat plate would be it's would be no tentam bar no tentam, right? So maybe it imparted its dairy flavor to the pasta. But the pasta does not impart the dairy flavor to whatever meat that it comes on it. And the meat doesn't impart its meat flavor to the pasta. So that, that, that's, that's why it's no tentam, bar no tentam. So, so Rabbi, I have a practical question. Then. Yeah. Okay, so every year at the um, golf tournament, by the way, there will be golf tournaments, but at, at the golf tournament, we literally take a horrible um, pot that we bought specifically to boil water in. We do we do the pasta there because we're going to serve it, and we do it at Param Road, which is a dairy kitchen, because we're going to serve it at a meat. But, so you're telling me I I could use a dairy pot, cook the pasta in that, put it in aluminum pans, the next day bring it out to to the site and serve it with a with a meat dinner. Correct. Like it's done. Done. <laughs> done. It's done. Mine it's done. 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 It's It's done. It's done. It's I'm trying to think of how to put this in, in, in the most succinct way. It, it can't re-impart that flavor um, in a in a in a second context, right? So um, so it's been given the flavor, um, uh, but um, but with its um, uh, uh, um, I mean that, that's actually Here's not true. Sure. Well, I wanted to, to clarify Hold what on. you're saying yeah. instead of um, what she said, which was put it into an aluminum pan and then take it to the Instead of doing that, if you were to take the pasta directly out of the water and put it into a pan with meat sauce, would that still be considered a second context? Yes, that's a really good question. So that's actually the, the, the complicated one that the law generally deals with. Um, although they don't always do it with pasta, they do it sometimes with fish. So the, um, no, 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 but it's, but it's true. So gen, right, generally, generally speaking, uh, that would not be acceptable. That would not be acceptable. So you couldn't do that. You couldn't take it directly from the dairy and, and mix it with meat. Well, it's hot. Right. 
Correct. Yes. Correct. The cool down does not. The cool down. The cool, the cool down does matter. Yes. All right. Um, listen, it's nine o'clock. Um, so I don't know what to do, guys, because. Yeah. Well, all hold on. All of this, all of this is relevant in terms of being a mashkiach, uh, because because uh, uh, all of this has to do with um, making sure that uh, I mean, being a mashkiach in some ways is easy in a in a context of two kitchens, because um, it's just a matter of making sure that all the ingredients that come in are kosher and um, that there's no cross pollination, right? But now you're seeing how um, when there is some cross pollination is happens even in separate kitchens, uh, there are instances in which it's perfectly fine, um, and instances in which you have to worry, right? And instances in which, like, you're, you're burned beyond all recognition, right? So, in the spectrum of this. So, this is all relevant to being a Mashiach. Um, yeah, I think we need another session. Um, I'm not sure at the moment when that session is going to be, um, because next Monday is Shavuot. The Monday after that, I'm out of town. Um... Uh, wait, sorry. Next Monday is Shavuot. The Monday after that is Memorial Day. No, uh, next Monday is Memorial Day. Right, you're right, you're right. Not still Shavuot. The Monday after that is, uh, I'm away. Um, I could theoretically do the following Monday, the 8th. Um, what? June 8th. June 8th, yes. Is it possible to send us, like, some material that kind of outline what you're talking about or identify something that's in here or that you want us to leave. Yeah, so, well, so right. I mean, the, the, um, they're really, can you want to sign up for something, like a sergeant at arms? Um, Rachel, make her do something. Why don't you look at all the time? Okay. Okay, I have another question. Okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. Um, June 8th, we can stop at the food truck. Okay, hold on. Just everybody, everybody, pause it for a second because I need to get a word in twice here. Um, it's so that way we can get everybody, let everybody go. Um, so to April's point, so this uh, this beautiful hand drawing that I gave. So the next topic is all issues of, of meat and milk, and we touched on a lot of them. So the basic premises are are what we've covered, right? Uh, Tom Geekar, Nathan Tom, uh, Beetle. Um, there are. Uh, there, there are a few different layers and permutations when it comes to um, uh, meat and milk. Part of that is because, as you can see from this uh, sheet, um, the rabbis, because the uh, prohibition against meat and milk is written three times in the Torah, the rabbis said that it, that it prohibits three different kinds of things. Uh, cooking, eating, and benefiting. Okay, um, And each of those things, uh, Jewish law, says, uh, puts, basically puts fence, what they call fences around, which, you know, things that pro, that prevent you from, uh, violating the essential commandment. Um, and so a lot of the issues related to meat and milk, uh, um, in Jewish law deal with those fences. Um, there's not, now there's not necessarily, um, a, a ton more to cover there, and and some of it isn't necessarily any more uh, uh, relevant to working in a kosher kitchen than what we've talked about now, because we've talked about all the basic 
premises. So if you look at the at the sheet, the like top level, um, you, you'll see some familiar uh, terms and phrases there of what's related to the cooking of meat and milk together. The eating of meat and milk together is also somewhat relevant to the co- to the kosher kitchen, um, but also a little bit more relevant to just the process of keeping kosher and eating kosher. Uh, and then the prohibition on benefiting from has probably very little relevance to our context, but in, nevertheless is, is part of it.